SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents. It's the lightly competitive science knowledge showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me this week, as always, is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. I'm going to ask you your worst food opinions. Oh, God. So, for example, I will go first. I kind of like it when the inside of my corn dog is still a little cold. That is horrible. <laughs> Okay, I get the mood we're setting now. (laughs) I love my favorite French fries are like the kind of soft and wiggly ones, not the crispy ones. You like them when you like them when they're basically just just potato. Yeah, that isn't that it's cooked. It's it's wet cooked potato, not wet. No, it's oily, slimy, oily. Yeah, Yeah, slimy cooked potatoes. I love them. I can't get enough of them, and I steal them from Sylvia's fry containers right. whenever she gets one whenever the palest of the pale uh-huh the palest ones. just like hot <laughs> and it's <laughs> great because sylvia doesn't want them because they're yeah. awful <laughs> <laughs> i mean i can't 
Uh, I'm sure I have a bunch that I'm not thinking of. I still drink a lot of Red Bull. Is that bad? I think Red Bull's delicious. You like the taste of Red Bull. I love Red Bull. Oh, that's bad. I love bad, the blueberry Sam. Red Bull. I love the pink Red the Bulls. What? I didn't flavors? even know there were different. I didn't even know there were colors. Yeah, that's news to me. I had a Monster Energy once, mm-hmm. and it tasted very bad, and it mm. made me um, on drugs. <laughs> what do you mean? Like you went loco? Yeah, yeah. It just was a lot of like mood altering chemicals. To consume, hmm. which I guess is how I feel about like a, a cup and a half of coffee as well. Yeah, yeah, I don't drink caffeine regularly, but in in high school when I went to a PAX, like went to the video game convention, they were giving out cans of NOS. I had to look it up. Energy drink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and my friends were like, oh, we should all get them. And I was like, OK, I'll, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt wild out of my mind <laughs> yeah. like running around the convention floor spinning wheels <laughs> winning prizes it was a lot i like any drink that you open as if it is an industrial lubricant <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't need that lid no one's coming no one's saving their nos for later i don't think, I don't think so but if I asked Rachel, would she? She'd be the best person to ask. We like the opposite foods. Like I love spicy yeah. foods. I love tangy foods. Mm, I love. I, I love like stinky foods. foods. <laughs> I'm also kind of a little nasty man, and I eat a lot of nasty stuff. <laughs> but it doesn't occur to me that it's nasty until someone's right. like, like, like footy cheese. Yeah, I stinky love a food. Big stinky cheese. Mm. I like lots of garlic. You know, yeah. all the stinkiest I a, foods. I love a big garlic stink myself. Yeah. You guys, I don't think that's a hard hard opinion to defend at all. No. Every week here on Tangents, we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic and failing. Our panelists are playing for glory and also for Hank Bucks, which I will be awarding as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Sam. Eagles are fierce, ostriches big and buffy, but baby birds... They're soft and fluffy. Okay. <laughs> Lions are lethal and tigers are toughy. But little kittens, they're soft and fluffy. Oh wow. This is already this is already a children's book. <laughs> Cows are clumsy and bulls can play roughy. But little baby calves, they're soft and fluffy. <laughs> Sheeps are creepy and goats are gruffy. But little lambs, they're soft and fluffy. How many things can is Sam gonna rhyme with fluffy? Humans can be rude, cruel, or huffy. But little babies, they're soft and fluffy. Oh, really? (laughs) Science can come off as sort of old and stuffy, but SciShow Tangents, we're soft and fluffy. Hey! (laughs) We are very soft. (laughs) We're at least soft. I don't know how fluffy we are. The topic for the day is unfortunately not fluffy, but it is soft. Soft things, things about softness. They are synonymous. They can go hand in hand in a way. I think so. I think to be fluffy, you have to have hairs, unlike a baby person. Everything that's fluffy is soft, though, right? Right? Everything that's fluffy is soft. It's not show tangents. (laughs) Clouds. Are they soft? They look soft, but they're just wet. But, but you, they're fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are fluffy. Clouds are are one of the quintessentially fluffy things. But if you touched one, you would not be like that was soft. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Thanks for saving us, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. From the from the potential future of being wrong about something, which never happens. We haven't done it yet. No. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sari, do you can you tell us what soft is? 
Well, science is really good at defining what hard is. Different hardnesses. Different hardnesses. So there are a lot of different scales there are for like hardness. Scales. Yeah, right. There's the Mohs hardness scale, which is minerals and like scratching minerals. So chalk is low on the hardness scale. And something like diamond is really high on the hardness scale. There's the Brinell scale, which is indentation of materials. So like a pillow that you can poke into would be very low on the Brinell scale. And like a hard rubber that you can't really tap into, like poke, is pretty high. Rockwell hardness is like metal and knives. So do they bend when you try and slice into something or do they stay stiff and strong? Nowhere in any of these definitions <laughs> is soft. And I said the Brunel scale had pillows in it. Well, I right? made up the pillow part. It's oh. like, it's just uh, <laughs> okay. through the penetration of an indenter, which sounded less fun than squishing yeah. a pillow. But you're getting to the point that I, the conclusion that I've drawn for our podcast is that soft is the opposite of hard. And so it's whatever's low on all these scales. Anything sure. that's right. squishy, anything that bends, anything that flakes off is kind of is, is mm-hmm. soft. Is softness just the absence of hardness? It's not the absence of hardness. That's nothing. It's the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite of hardness. Okay, okay. The less hardness there is, the more softness there is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So to jump ahead a little bit linguistically, we use sure. soft and hard as a pair of opposites in a lot of different cases. So like there's all this tension between hard sciences like mm-hmm. engineering mm-hmm. and biology and soft sciences like psychology or sociology. They're perceived to be trickier and more data driven or perceived mm-hmm. to be more qualitative and fluffier and then there's hard and soft water and like hard water has mineral content in it where there's soft water doesn't there's hard and soft drinks so hard alcohol in it and Uh soft drinks are just like a soda with a lot of sugar i never thought of that before yeah hard and soft rock which sarah doesn't know about but that's also a thing (laughs) that's where you have i already talked about that that's chalk versus (laughs) obviously (laughs) so yeah so we use hard and soft in these like opposite ways and as far as i can tell it's just because we created them as opposite words so hard is strong or intense or Confident and soft is gentle or calm or undisturbed or weak. And we just kind of use them as opposites to each other. Just by default. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I got to say the word soft sounds like it's soft. Yeah. It's definitely, it's like soft, soft. soft. I'm like, yes, I will buy that toilet paper. Just say that word. (laughs) Soft. You can say hard pretty soft too, though. Hard. <laughs> hard, hard seems pretty hard. I think that there are harder words than hard. The hardest toilet paper. <laughs> Charmin, it's hard. <laughs> I don't think it works, Sam. I think that's a losing Agree message. Agree to disagree. <laughs> it's it's like wood for your butt. Well, where does the word come from? Yeah, is it just people were like soft? That sounds right. Yeah, it comes from caveman word. Uh, caveman word. I think word. it's caveman, full caveman. It's from Middle Dutch, so European-ish, yeah. from the root S-O-M, psalm, meaning fitting or agreeable. 
It's nice. Yeah. So it's like, like gentle. It feels like it was from a root word that was applied to a lot of different things, not just material things. Uh And then we started layering on more meanings of like, okay, like in general, a scenery can be soft. It's fitting or agreeable or like a mood can be soft. And then we're like, well, that pillow is kind of soft or that sound is kind of soft. You put your head on it and say, that's nice. Yeah. (laughs) And then later on, after we started calling squishy things soft or fluffy things soft, then we started using it as an insult. And we're like, you're soft. You're softy. And that means it's time to move on to today's quiz portion of the show. This week, we're going to be playing soft things, this or that. So... As we were just discussing, there are plenty of soft things, and we need to know how soft and hard things are. And so uh, there are different scales, as Sari was discussing, for detecting the hardness of things and to see which thing is harder than another thing. There are several different scales used for measuring hardness, and I'm going to present you with two things and the hardness scale being used to test their hardness, and you're going to tell me which of these things is harder. So, to measure the hardness of minerals, the 19th century German geologist Friedrich Mose invented a scale based on a mineral's relative resistance to scratching by a set of 10 reference minerals ranging from talc at the softest end to diamond at the hardest end. So, based on the Mose scale of hardness, which of the following is softer? A steel file or the mineral topaz? I think you could do some real damage to a topaz with a steel file. <laughs> that is basically <laughs> what you're like what, you what you're could. trying to figure out. I definitely can guarantee that I am softer than both. <laughs> I'm gonna think. I think it's a trick question. I think it's the steel file. I don't know why that would be a trick. I feel like yes. I think it's the steel file. It's it's a double trick. It's question. a double. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think it's the topaz is softer. The answer is the steel file is softer than the topaz. <laughs> I'm going to level with you. I don't know what topaz is. so It's a rock. <laughs> well, it's I knew cool that. cool rock. Yeah. It's like a yellowy orange one. Moe's hardness scale ranges from 1 to 10, with 1 being the softest and 10 being the hardest. A steel file is quite hard with a 6.5 on the Moe's scale, uh, but it is soft compared to topaz, one of Moe's reference minerals that measures in at an 8. Diamond is 10. While Mose codified this method into a scale, the method had been uh, itself had been around since at least 300 BCE when it was mentioned in a treatise called On Stones, written by the Greek philosopher Theophrastus. Oh, sounds like a page turner, doesn't it? Another method of measuring hardness is a quantity called indentation hardness, which measures how much a material resists changing when it is compressed. The basic idea is to apply a force to a material and measure the depth of the indent that forms. And while engineers in the 20th century created several different indentation hardness scales to measure the hardness of metals, the shore hardness scale is different in that it measures the hardness of stretchier materials like rubber. So according to the shore hardness scale, which of the following is softer, a gel insole or a gummy bear? I think if you filled your shoes with gummy bears, you'd be in for a more uncomfortable time than with the gel insoles. I mean, I think the first step might be nice, but I think after half a day, you'd be in a lot of... (laughs) Yeah, you'd be in some trouble. A sticky situation. (laughs) I think the gel insoles are softer. 
Here's the thing. Both of you have chewed on gummy bears. Neither you, neither of you have chewed on gel insoles. So there's no, you can't, you can't you know, know this us? for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know you pretty well. Uh, you just told me all your worst food takes. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> the secret one, the one I'm most shamed of, is that gel yeah. insoles are my favorite snack. <laughs> yeah, Rachel actually texted me and she was like, Sam's grossest thing? The insoles. <laughs> Most indefensible. I'm going to guess gummy bears. A good gummy bear, not stale. If they were testing stale gummy bears, it's the other way. But mm-hmm. I'm assuming not right. stale. Fresh, freshy gummy bear. Fresh off the presses. <laughs> right out of the newspaper machine. That's going to be another win for Sari because ah. the answer is the gummy bear. There are actually three different shore hardness scales, which exist for different types of materials. Shore 00 is resolved for very soft, flexible materials. Shore A is for flexible rubber materials. And shore D is for hard or semi-rigid plastic. Both gel insoles and gummy bears are on the shore 00 scale with a gel insole measuring at about 30 shore 00 and gummy bears at around. 10. Okay. That was close. Marshmallows are also around 10. And -hmm. some items on the Shore A scale, mouse pad at 30, Mm -hmm. pencil eraser at 50, and the Shore D, a textbook cover, 40, and bone at 90. Oh, wow. (laughs) I don't know why bone cracks me up so much. The rest are objects. It's like, okay, I'm tapping around my desk. All right. Round number three, Sam, it's officially impossible to come back, That's but fine. try anyway. Okay. Solid materials are not the only things that can have hardness measurement because water can also become hard when larger amounts of minerals like calcium and magnesium get dissolved in it. So water hardness is classified based on the milligrams of calcium carbonate per liter of water. So using this measure, which city has the softer water? Tampa, Florida or Cambridge, Massachusetts? Mm-hmm. So which city has less calcium carbonate? I think that the water is softer in Florida mm. because it's it's a hard life up here in Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> so our water must be hard too. <laughs> yeah, every, everything everything's very just just decrepit and falling to pieces because mm-hmm. it's all a thousand years old, and yeah. it's more calcium carbonate carbonate or whatever is harder. Yes, more yes. calcium carbonate. So I think it's harder in Florida because there's because of coral for some because <laughs> <there's, laughs> they use because all the pipes are made out of coral. Yeah, so it's softer uh, up Massachusetts way. Well, the answer is that Cambridge, Massachusetts, has this softer. Water, the drinking water in Tampa comes primarily from the Hillsborough River, and the hardness fluctuates between 140 and 300 milligrams per liter. For comparison, hard water begins at 120 milligrams per liter, so that's pretty high. Meanwhile, Cambridge has hardness of about 50 to 70 milligrams Mm. per liter. Florida's hard water comes from the fact that the state has a lot of limestone, which dissolves into the water with rainfall. And we looked it up, and limestone can sometimes be from coral deposits. Is it in this case? I don't know. So we're not going to give him a bonus point or anything, but good job, Sam. But I wasn't so off base, huh? Yeah, that's good. I used uh, the scientific method. (laughs) That's not what that is. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) All right, Sam's got one point, Sarah's got two. Next up, we're headed into a short break. Then, the fact off. (laughs) 
SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Yeah. Aspersions. One of those. Aspersions. Yeah. But... It does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun mm-hmm. burns out. And you know yeah. what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. <laughs> <laughs> You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. Yeah, that yeah. bean's not going to grow if, there, if there's a constant drain on the, on bean. the bean. That <laughs> is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond I mean, beans and beyond subscription canceling (laughs) rocket money helps you build budgets, track your spending and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans. So they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. (laughs) (laughs) Different kind of bean, I guess. A cheaper, beans, more yeah. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. <laughs> yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. <laughs> Subscription <laughs> companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans. Cancel your unwanted <laughs> subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Factor, whose ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning. Stress is stressful. I don't like it. (laughs) Life just goes and goes, and it doesn't ever stop going. There's always something else to do. And one of those things is a very important thing called eating dinner. To eat dinner, one must pick out what they want to eat and then go to the grocery store and then buy the stuff and then chop the stuff and do other things to the stuff. You have to heat the stuff and put it in water. And then afterwards, you have to take the things that you heated it in and they're gross and you have to make them clean again. Meanwhile, life is still happening that all oh, all oh, that's building up around you. Oh, this is <laughs> terrifying. I'm so, <laughs> I never want to cook again. <laughs> You're right, Factor Ad. I don't. I don't want to have this happen. This is unacceptable. Sometimes, uh, parentheses, all the time, uh, you just don't have the time or the energy for meal planning on top of everything else going on in your life. So thankfully, Factor is here to help. Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon come mealtime. You can get chef-crafted meals that are better for you and better tasting than takeout delivered right to your door. 
ready to heat and ready to eat. No prep, no mess, no sink full of dishes, no stress. We're kicking stress out the door in 2024. And I certainly hope that's true for me. <laughs> Heck yeah, Factor. Kick my stress. Right out the door. <laughs> I'm going to get a chest freezer just for these meals. <laughs> Oh, you're going to need one because they have over 35 meals to choose from. Flexible ordering options, add-ons, smoothies. Factor offers all sorts of fast, simple solutions when you're too busy to cook. Banish your stress, even if it's just for like one hour while you're eating dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash tangents50 and use code tangents50 to get 50% off. That's code tangents50 at factormeals.com slash tangents50 to get 50% off. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for the Fact Off. Our panelists have brought science facts to present in an attempt to blow my mind. After they have presented their facts, I will judge them and award Hank Bucks any way I see fit. And to decide who goes first, a trivia question. When you think of a ball of wool yarn, you might imagine someone knitting a soft, cozy sweater. But soft things like wool can also make other things very strong. Take, for instance, the baseballs used in Major League Baseball. Inside these baseballs is a core made of cork and rubber wrapped up tightly in yarn that strengthens the baseball against the impact of a batter hitting it very, very hard. Huh. How many yards of yarn are there in the center of a Major League Baseball baseball? I didn't know there was any you, of this you, in a baseball. I've never Sam's, thought about it. Sam is counting. <laughs> as if, I'm wrapping as the baseball in my head. <laughs> I feel like it would take a lot of wraps to get a single yard. but I'm going to guess 10 yards. I'm going to guess 20 yards. I don't know. <laughs> you should have guessed 369 <laughs> yards. What? Holy shit. That's so many. I That's... knew it would take a lot to make a yard. <laughs> So that means Sam wins, though. Should he have? <laughs> How are baseballs not the size of like basketballs with that much this, yarn? You know, it's not super thick yarn. I think. Have you ever taken a baseball apart? No. Yeah, it's real stringy in there. Stringy in there. Uh, I think I'll go first. Before we went to the moon, all we could do was speculate about what the moon was made out of. Sure, it looked like a big old solid rock, but there were plenty of observations that indicated that the moon was covered in a layer of fluffy dust. And not just a thin layer, there was a definite fear that the area chosen for the Apollo landing was actually dust deep enough that it would swallow the crew whole upon touchdown. That would have been a really bad outcome. I'm like, <laughs> really like how, how do we know? How do you know? Why didn't they shoot like another thing up there first? And see? They did. They, they did. did do that. Yeah. And they still were kind of like, ah, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, well, they, they didn't land in the exact same place. Oh, okay. so, yeah, that makes sense. So luckily, that turned out to not be the case. Turned out, in fact, that the moon was covered with just enough dust to allow for some extremely photogenic astronaut footprints, but not enough yeah. to swallow anyone. But if we all lived on Saturn instead of Earth and our brave boys were flying to Methone, one of Saturn's 82 moons, things could have turned out a lot different. Ooh. So Methone, named after the beautiful daughter of a giant from Greek mythology, was discovered in 2004 by the Cassini probe. Hmm, cool moon, the people at NASA must have thought at the time. <laughs> because the picture of, of the moon, it was like one pixel in the first image of it. So uh -huh. that's all they could think until 2012 when things got a little weirder. So Cassini did another flyby much closer and took a hell of a picture of Methone. I and like it, looked, it. I see it. It looked really weird, much like its beautiful namesake, 
the five-kilometer-wide methone was flawless in a very non-moon-like way. For one thing, its surface appeared to be totally smooth, unlike the crater-scarred mm. surface of many other moons out there. Yeah, and for it another, good. it was shaped like a damn old egg, just in time for Easter. <laughs> <laughs> I think this episode's coming out on Easter. Happy Easter, everybody. <laughs> so enjoy, your, enjoy all your damn old eggs. Egg moon, egg moon. <laughs> <laughs> so moons are usually hard, usually rocky, usually covered in craters from the endless pummeling by hurtling debris. And surely methone was also being pummeled, but somehow it was able to heal itself. And the current best guess as to how that happens could also explain the egg shape and stir up some old NASA engineers' worst fears. Mm. Methone is likely a big ball of space-borne fluffy ice and dust. So the egg shape comes from the soft mm. material being pulled towards Saturn, and the smoothness is hypothesized to be due to the dust and ice flowing around. So the idea is that Saturn's radiation belt might charge the fluffy particles, and that makes them like flow, and it makes them mobile and able to flow into impact craters when they happen. So it seals them right up. It might take millions of years to seal them right up, but it seals them right up. Right. With the new Cassini images, the researchers could also calculate how dense methone had to be to be able to be stretched into an egg shape, but still hold together enough and not be ripped apart by Saturn. Mm -hmm. And it reported that the moon is probably less dense than water. So the next time you think, wow, those old NASA guys didn't know anything, sinking into the dust of the moon, ha ha ha, what a stupid thing to think. Remember <laughs> fluffy methone and be thankful that you are not on a lunar lander headed there right now. Wow, to be entirely engulfed in dusty ice. Yeah. And just be like, well, um. <laughs> we didn't hear back from them, so. <laughs> I, guess, I guess we'll take back off. <laughs> nope. I imagine oh, it would be like fluffy. those foam pits at gymnasiums where you just sink. It's it's kids' version of quicksand where no matter yeah. how much you struggle, you just fall deeper and deeper. But their parents aren't there to pull them out. Yeah. It's like a moon cloud. There's also potentially it it's the source of the methone ring arc. Yeah, uh, I saw yeah. that too, but I couldn't figure out how to work it in. But so Saturn's <laughs> like stealing bits of it. And yeah. there's a, a, a ring of Saturn that follows methone's orbit that they think came from methone. It's just a bunch of little fluff pieces from methone. My goodness. But Saturn, just stop it. Stop being so cool. Sari, what do you got for us? You might have a favorite sweater or blanket because they just feel so soft and good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's made from something synthetic like fleece, which is polyester, or wool, which is keratin, like our hair. But in the early 1900s, when fluffy sheep's wool was in short supply, scientists came up with an extremely creative alternative. Fabric made from cow milk. Milk shirts. Ah. Milk sweaters. Yeah. Milk, milk shirts. They were milk all the freaking rage. <laughs> uh, oh my God. They made milk thread. <laughs> they made milk thread. And the whole reason this is possible is because of the proteins in cow's milk, especially mm. the casein. So casein might sound familiar because it's extracted from milk as a protein supplement along with the whey protein or because it's the main component of cheese. And to make cheese, you mix rennet with milk to convert the lactose sugars into lactic acid, which then curdles the milk proteins to make them solid clumps. And then you do cheese processing stuff to separate curds from whey and whatnot. 
And if you want to make milk fiber, you mix milk with acid. And this time you don't have to worry about it being edible. (laughs) So the casein protein curdles. And instead of doing anything with cheesecloth to make gooey, cheesy lumps, it gets forced through tubes so that it becomes really thin fibers that can be spun. So I'm not saying milk fiber is cheese, but it's definitely cheese's cousin. (laughs) And when you take that milk fiber and dry it out and fluff it up, it looks like a soft, fluffy wool and can be spun the same way. You can mix it with synthetic fibers or other natural ones and turn it into a soft, smooth, flexible, cooling fabric. And in the 1930s, Italian chemists were producing milk fabrics under the Lanital brand and basically repurposing wasted or undrunk cow milk to make something useful. And in the 1950s in the U.S., milk fabrics were made and advertised under the name Aralac. But the clothes that we are wearing right now are probably not milk clothes. So obviously, there's a problem between then and now, and that is that it takes around 100 pounds of milk to produce 3 pounds of milk fiber. So even though it feels eco-friendly, it is really resource-intensive, which also means it's really expensive compared to other synthetic fibers like Mm -hmm. nylon. And even though milk fibers like Lanitol had good qualities, like being soft and silky, they weren't as durable as wool. And... Most hilariously, apparently, when Lanitol and Aralac got wet, they smelled like spoiled milk, which is a big fashion faux pas if I've ever heard of it. Yeah, because shirts do have a way of getting wet. Yeah. Things things occur. In the pit area. Yeah, especially there where you extra don't want it to smell like spoiled milk. You're already worried about being stinky and then you got a stinky shirt too. So it's just squeezed through and it like just happens. Like we don't have to do anything special to it. You just squeeze. Just squeeze it. The cheese. Through a little hole. Mm-hmm. Like any fabric, there's a, a chemical processing to make sure the proteins polymerize in, in the way that you want them to. And nobody's doing this anymore. So there are clothing companies right now that use them as like high fashion or supposedly eco-friendly fabrics. Yeah. But they're also in other brands. One article I read said Uniqlo, which is like a pretty big brand, yeah. uses yeah. them. fashion brand. In some of their like warming, heat trapping clothing, which is very wild. So yeah. I don't know. Maybe we have a, a milk clothes revolution upon us. <laughs> I want milk Legos. <laughs> That's what I want. There could be milk Legos, right. right? Couldn't they make milk Legos? If you can make yarn out of it, you should be able to make like just a phone. Yeah. Just <laughs> stuffed animals. Think of the hardest cheese you can and then imagine... Uh-huh. That being a Lego, is that sturdy uh, enough for you? I can think of some really hard cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining it now. Oh boy, God, that's good. They're both very good. I, they both make great TikToks. Stinky shirts, a cloud, like a moon that's a cloud. It's got to go to Sari, but only because Sari won the first round. I was genuinely not expecting that, <laughs> and I'm hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this one was a lock for me. Well, you should have done better in the first game, Sam. One of us went to MIT. One of us went to art school. So I can tell you how hard a crayon is. <laughs> That's not how it works, Sam. So now it's time to ask the science couch, where we ask some listener questions for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. Connor on Discord asks, why do cats tend to be softer and fluffier than dogs. I don't know. This is, there are definitely dogs that have that big floof to them, and there are cats that don't have any hair. I've met them. And, <laughs> yeah. Are they soft? You know, they're soft like a person. <laughs> well, but not like a cat. Skin. Mm. Yeah. 
smooth anyway. But that's that's kind of all I got because there's but though I got Pomeranian can be really fluffy mm-hmm. too. I guess I don't. I can understand this question because I do feel like I've never like when you pet a dog. There's a little. There's always a little coarseness there. I feel like I'm, and this is me speaking out of my ass, but I feel like every dog I've petted <laughs> has been a little bit like. There's a little bit of something. A little bit more grit to that dog. Yeah, I feel cat. like there's maybe like this just like a dog's like I got to be a dog sometimes. And the cat's <laughs> yeah. like I never have to be a dog. No. Mm-hmm. I got to go run into some dirt and a cat is saying, I have to sit. Take I am going please. to be extremely quiet. Yes. Were we right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so dogs and cats both have two types of fur, at least two types of fur. So there's the finer secondary hairs, which are like the fluffy layer beneath it. That's mm-hmm. a lot of what traps warmth and whatnot. And then there's the primary hairs, which give them their color and they're generally bigger and thicker and coarser and provide more protection for their top coat. I think in general, those can vary a lot across cat breeds, dog breeds. So there are fluffy dogs and there are fluffy cats and there are naked dogs and there are naked cats. So given that that is basically the same across both species, the cleanliness of that fur is the big difference Mm. where dogs don't groom themselves as aggressively or as consistently like they do lick and bite. Like there's a reason that you need to put a cone on them when they get surgery because they will try and lick at wounds. But generally dog fur it feels more rough and uneven because you're feeling patches of dirt or dead fur or ah. just like grime stuck in their coat. Once you start brushing and grooming them, then their coats feel silkier and smoother, which is how those show dogs, like the dogs that have been bred Look for so fluffy. extra yeah. fluffy, they take so much maintenance to be that fluffy. But the more interesting part I should maybe should have led with it, but is <laughs> cat grooming <laughs> is also besides being very thorough, like cats just spend a lot of time grooming themselves to mm-hmm. detangle, take out dirt, spread oils or spread saliva on their hairs, which is what makes them so soft and fluffy. Their tongues are uniquely adapted to brush their hair super well. And, they got little uh, hairbrushes uh, in their mouths. Yeah, they got hairbrushes in their mouths. And in a 2018 paper, they used a CT scan, like com- computed tomography scan to uh-huh. sh- zoom into and 3D print the the tongue things. And it's weird because they, to me, look like little claws. They look like a little claw with a hollowed like out or inside. Something? Yeah, kind of Valkyrie where they... Huh have this channel running down the middle of them so that the saliva can get distributed well so it like wicks Mm. it down kind of like a pen nib like like an ink pen nib and so that they can release the hair really easily because it doesn't Mm. get caught like a traditional brush a hairbrush or something your hair wraps around the little sticks and gets caught but in cat hair it like runs through the ridges on their tongue and then doesn't get ta- caught. It just gets detangled. Do so, they make brushes that are cat hair? Cat this is what I'm asking. Brushes? Just can you just scale it up and I can use it? So they made one for this paper. They were like, there's a tongue-inspired grooming brush, the tiger brush, <laughs> which is like 3D printed cat papillae. I don't know if they've ever marketed it, though. I They made it. Is, and and is, it. is it made for cats or can I use it on my 
uh, situation. They suggested using it for animals like vets as the first use, but then because it's so easily cleaned, then they were like, mm-hmm. this could be adapted for, for humans. But I Did don't they know. try it on their own heads, though? Oh, I don't There's I don't no, know. I don't think I so. found one. It's called the <laughs> the black hole real cat tongue textured grooming brush. For man or beast? For beast. Mm. Well, I'll comb my hair with one if you buy it. Mm-hmm. All right, done. For the show. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want gray or pink? Pink is more tongue-like. So Pink is more tongue-like, <laughs> it's true. All right, done. Terrific. I can't wait. It's gonna hurt really bad, is my guess. <laughs> If you want to ask the Science Couch your questions, you can follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we will tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Or you can join the SciShowTangents Patreon and ask us on Discord. Thank you to at KyberNaka, at RaccoonRequired, and everybody else who's asked us your question for this episode. Isn't that a good name? I love that name. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> if you like this show and you want to help us out, it's real easy to do that. First, you can go to Patreon.com slash SciShowTangents to become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes and our Cars 2 commentary where we really get to the bottom of how the inside of the cars and cars are definitely made of meat. Second, (laughs) you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's super helpful and helps us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell tell people people about about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is created by all of us and produced by Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes along with Seth Glicksman. Our story editor is Alex Billow. Our social media organizer is Paolo Garcia Prieto. Our editorial assistants are Deboki Chakravarti and Emma Dowster. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our executive producers are Caitlin Hoffmeister and me, Hank Green. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. A lot of male butterflies and moths are hiding something in their butts. Mm. Two to four inflatable feathery tube-like appendages called cormata, which, or cormata, or corm, I'm not entirely sure. It comes from the Greek korema, meaning broom. And like most of the weirdest and most horrifying looking structures, they're for sex, but not for transferring <laughs> sperm. When male butterflies are trying to attract a mate, they inflate these fuzzy tubes with blood or air and use them to spread stinky, sexy pheromones around. What? And when moths are well fed, they're cormata or cor- cor- cormata, I'm not sure, can grow bigger than the length of their bodies to show off their tremendous biological health. You should look it up. They're horrifying. <laughs> Let me see one of these things. Um, whoa! 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 Holy shit! Ew! Oh! Oh ew. my god! Ew. Is it those tentacles? It's the tentacles! <laughs> Don't look oh at this, anybody. God. Never look at whoa. this. Have I never seen that before? I don't know. I don't know why I didn't learn about it until today. They're oh, nonsense. On. They must have been filtered out via safe search. Like, that's the yeah. only explanation <laughs> so, why I didn't know so, anything about this. I'm so excited about our new episode of SciShow, the absolute worst thing about <sighs> butterflies. <laughs> <laughs> I can't forgive you for showing me this. <laughs>